Tonight, uh, the reading and the preaching of God's Word comes to us from uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5. If you would turn there with me, we'll be focusing our attention on the first ten verses of that chapter, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. I thought it would be appropriate tonight, since this morning we focused our attention on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, tonight to focus our attention on the resurrection of believers. Uh, There are a number of great resurrection texts in the New Testament. Obviously, the four Gospels uh, record the event of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, from which Reverend Nehemiah preached uh, not too long ago, a glorious chapter on the resurrection of the flesh. But here's another, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, which talks about the type of heavenly existence we are looking forward to as believers. Uh, We are uh, linked to Jesus Christ. He is raised, and we will be raised as well. And so we're going to focus our attention on this chapter together. I'd actually like to begin reading at verse 16 of chapter 4, because Paul talks a bit more there at the end of that chapter uh, about what we are looking forward to as believers in light of the resurrection. So this is God's holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. So let's listen carefully as it's read and as it's preached. Paul says, verse 16, chapter 4, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen or are transient or temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee." So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil. Here we're going to end our reading of God's Word tonight. Well, someone once said that uh, the Christian experience is, is lived out on the bowstring of life. The Christian experience is lived out on the bowstring of life. What is meant by that? What's meant is that the Christian life, our life as believers in this present age, is a life characterized by tension, a great deal of tension. 
And we sense that tension every single day of our lives as we look at the difference between our present life, our present existence as believers, in which we so often uh, lament disappointments and pain and suffering and sickness and unbelief and death. We see the tension between our present life right now as believers and the life that is promised us in God's Word, the life that is to come. We experience the the trials and the struggles of this life, the frailty of our bodies, even while we hold on to that resurrection hope, the resurrection of the body, the promise that one day Jesus Christ will wipe away every single tear from our eyes. We live in between this age and the age to come. And in the passage that I just read, the Apostle Paul looks at our lives as we live in this tension between this life and the life to come. But he says that this tension shouldn't discourage us. Instead, it should fill us with confidence as we look forward to Jesus' return, as we anticipate the resurrection of our bodies, as we even look forward to the judgment of God. These realities, Paul says, encourage our hearts. They give us courage. They give us hope that even though right now we live in these temporary tents, these temporary bodies, as strangers on the earth, we can be assured that God has already given us a better and a more permanent home. We can get busy living lives that please the Lord in light of the hope of the resurrection, a resurrection which is already ours as a spiritual reality. And so here God calls us to lift up our eyes in faith from, from the suffering of this present life and to look forward with resurrection hope to what God has already prepared for each and every believer. We notice, first of all, that Paul says we ought to embrace the tension between this life and our future life with God. And that's how he begins this section of the text in verse 1. He says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Here, Paul introduces the first of several metaphors or word pictures that he's going to use during this chapter to describe the the tension between our present life and the life to come. And he talks about this tent of our earthly dwelling. What is he referring to there? Well, by using the word tent there, Paul is describing our present existence. He's describing our human bodies which waste away on a daily basis, which will one day perish, one day die. And yet Paul doesn't bring this up so that the believers should despair about their circumstances. His confidence, his hope, is that even if his body should waste away, even if our bodies should should deteriorate and eventually die, we know that we have received something far better from God 
a far more lasting dwelling place. Paul's great assurance, the great assurance of all believers is this, we have a building from God. We have a better dwelling place. We have a resurrection body. You notice Paul doesn't say, you will have a better dwelling place. He says, we have it. You have it now. So certain are we that we will receive this better dwelling place from the Lord. Paul can say, you have it. It's a reality now. Through Christ, this new body, this renewed body is as surely yours as if you were already experiencing it. That's an outstanding and wonderful claim that Paul makes here. And we wonder, uh, why is that the case? Why will our new heavenly house, our new resurrection bodies be far better than the earthly tent in which we dwell now, in which we've lived since our births. After all, we're often more comfortable with the dwelling place or the home we grew up in. It's more familiar. All of our memories were created there. Isn't that the more comfortable place? Isn't the old house always the better one, at least at first? And yet Paul says he looks forward to, he groans for his new house, his new and better body. He says in verse 2, for in this tent, this present body, we groan, we long to put on our heavenly dwelling. Why, Paul, will it be better? Well, you may remember that Paul knew something about tents. He was, after all, when he wasn't preaching, he was making tents. He was a tent maker. And the Apostle Paul knew that the tents of our current bodies would be renewed and replaced by a building from God. The good news that Paul declares is not that what we receive from God is going to be a totally different body, but that our bodies will be transformed from a tent into a building. Now, boys and girls, you you know that tents are temporary. If you've ever gone on, a, gone on a camping trip with mom or dad, you, you set up the tent, you enjoy your time there at the campground, but you don't leave your tent there for the next family to use when they come along. The tent is temporary, and after you've had your trip, you, you pull up the tent pegs from the ground, you, full up, you pull up the tarp, you fold it up, you store all of the, the tent material away for the next time you go on your camping trip. Tents are temporary. They're not long-term dwelling places. But a building, a building is meant to stay put where it's been erected. Buildings are built to stay as long as possible. They're more permanent than a tent. And that's why Paul rejoices here. He rejoices that the buildings of our future life with God, our heavenly dwelling with Him, our renewed and perfected resurrection bodies will be a permanent, a lasting gift from God on the day when Christ returns. They will be much better than the frail temporary bodies we have now. They will exist, he says in verse 1, eternally in the heavens. Our resurrection bodies, he says, will not be man-made either. 
They will be a spiritual creation. He says they will be a house, a permanent dwelling made without hands, remade, renewed, recrafted by God Himself. As we hear these promises rehearsed, we might wonder, how can this be true? What certainty do we have as believers that we will receive from God this renewed and restored resurrection body? What's the basis of our assurance? It's what we learned about this morning, the certainty of Jesus' resurrection. Because Jesus' resurrected body is right now in heaven interceding for you and me perfectly at the right hand of God, because His resurrected body is in heaven interceding for us, we can be certain that we will go and be where He is, and we will receive from Him a body like His own based in the certainty of Jesus' resurrection, revealed through the apostolic word, we can surely know right now that beyond death there lies the reality of a house made without hands, eternal in the heavens, which Paul says we have. So certain is it. Because the one who raised Jesus from the dead is the one who will raise you also on the day of Jesus' return. Paul uses another metaphor here to describe the tension between our present and future life, and he says that that while we're in this earthly tent, we long to put on or clothe ourselves in our heavenly dwelling. Notice what he says in verse 4, for while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened Not that we would be unclothed, that's not the hope of the believer, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Our spiritual desire as believers is not that we would be unclothed, he says earlier in verse 3, not that we would be found naked, not that when we enter glory to be with Christ, we would be without a body. That's not our hope. That's not what our, our anticipation as believers. No, we want to be more fully clothed than we are right now. Perhaps some of you had had the opportunity to, to stand up in, a, in the wedding of a friend or a relative. And of course, as a, as a bridesmaid, as a bridegroom, you're uh, called to rent all sorts of clothing for that special event. Uh, the ladies have to rent a dress, which they desperately hope is at least uh, tolerable and, and beautiful. Um, guys have to put together a whole host of things, a fancy shirt and a, a tie or a bow tie, the pants, the socks, the shoes, the tuxedo, the whole package. But of course, no one puts on all that fancy clothes right first thing in the morning if the ceremony is later in the day. You set aside the nicer garments, the outer garments, the fancier pieces and articles of clothing until that most special event, the ceremony itself, comes along. Well, Paul uses the metaphor of clothing to teach us about our great longing, our desire as Christians, which is not to cast off our bodies, these wonderful bodies that God has given to us, 
but rather to be more fully clothed with our renewed and better heavenly bodies at the resurrection. Our longing as believers is that what is mortal, what is temporary, would be swallowed up, enveloped by eternal life. And here Paul is describing then one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian life, which we embrace by faith, that God's promise to each and every one of us as believers is that on the day of Jesus' return, what is right now our earthly tent, our mortal bodies, will be transformed. They will be regenerated into what will be heavenly buildings which will dwell eternally in heavenly glory. Our heavenly bodies will be like our earthly bodies. We will recognize them as ours, but they will have a significant makeover. On that last day, you and I will take on, we will inherit the new us that God has already prepared and has already promised. And so there's a lot for us to anticipate, a lot for us to look forward to, even as we live in the midst of the tension of the Christian life. Right now, we, we have two kinds of clothing, a temporary one and a heavenly one, two manners of existence. And we long, we groan for our present sinful, weak condition to be overcome and, and swallowed up by God's resurrection power. That's our longing. We want to be more fully clothed. And we feel the tension between the, the reality that in one sense we already have this, this new heavenly home. It's so certain that we will receive it. And yet we don't have it quite yet. And so, like Paul, we're, we're called to embrace this tension. We're called to groan and yearn for the coming age. When our obedience is perfected, when we no longer grieve our heavenly Father, when our bodies are made whole and complete again, we long for the day when death will be swallowed up by life once and for all. But we must not miss out on the fact that that groaning, that yearning as believers is also filled with hope. It's filled with hope that God will surely fulfill His promise to give us our renewed and perfected resurrection bodies. And that's the second thing that we notice in this text tonight, that we are called to believe this resurrection promise and then get busy living for the glory of God in light of it. We read in verse 5 that it's God Himself, the one who has designed, the one who has built our heavenly dwelling, uh, that, that it's God who has given us this longing and desire. We read in verse 5 here that it is He, it is God who has prepared us for this very thing. And He has given us His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, as a guarantee. What Paul is saying here is that, that God has not just prepared us for our heavenly dwelling. He's not just given us the desire to be more fully clothed one day in our resurrection body. But in the meantime, He has given us His Holy Spirit 
to live within us, to kindle that longing, and to assure us of His promises. The Holy Spirit, Paul says here, is a guarantee. Another way of saying that is He's a down payment of the new age that's coming. He's a down payment, a promise of that total renewal of our bodies that is coming. And it's interesting to note here that that word for guarantee is used in modern Greek as a word for an engagement ring, an engagement ring. Now, again, boys and girls, I'm sure you know what an engagement ring is. Uh, An engagement ring acts as a pledge. It's a promise that a man will marry the woman that he loves on their wedding day. That, That small ring certifies that the man will fulfill his promise to marry the woman that he loves. Well, God has done something like that for us. God has given us a certain pledge. He's given us a guarantee that our deepest longings to be more fully clothed in our heavenly dwelling, He will meet that desire. And it's God's Spirit at work within us that is that guarantee. It's God's Spirit who assures us every single day that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead on Easter morning, that the same Spirit who who breathed new life into your soul when you were converted from a sinner to a saint, that that same Spirit is preparing your mortal bodies for the completion of your redemption. The Spirit is a deposit, assuring us every single day that God is faithful. He will complete the work that He has started in you. That Spirit of God is a source of hope as we wait for our longings to be fulfilled. By His Spirit, God encourages us to lift up our eyes in faith from our current circumstances, from the suffering, from the disappointment of this current life, and to look forward in hope to all that God has prepared for us. Even in the tension and the longing that we have for our future life, those are a gift from God as a down payment of the Holy Spirit, as a way that God prepares us, fits us, for our new life with Him. We confess that the tension of living between the ages is tiring. It's hard. At times, we can become tempted to lose heart. We can become tempted to give up. We are prone to forget God's past faithfulness. We are tempted to think that the the trials and the, the difficulties of life have no purpose for us. I'm reminded of a scene in a film that's a favorite of mine, a 1990s film called Shawshank Redemption. Perhaps some of you have seen it. Towards the end, the main character, Andy Dufresne, is talking to his friend Red in the prison yard. He's served several decades of a of a term, a life sentence that for a crime he didn't commit, a murder he didn't commit. And Andy says to his friend, you either get busy living or you get busy dying. 
which leads his friend to be very concerned for him, thinking that he has become despondent, perhaps even thinking about taking his life. But little does his friend Red know. Over the last 20 years or so, Andy has been planning and plotting a great escape out of the prison. No one else knows about it. Only Andy knows about it. Only he has that hope. Only he can see that he can get busy living, for there's redemption on the other side of the prison wall. In many ways, that connects to our own life as believers. Paul calls us here to get busy living in light of the redemption, resurrection hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It may be unseen to the world, and sometimes we may have a hard time seeing it as well amidst the trials of this life. But this hope drives us forward. It gives us reason for confidence in this present life. And in verses 6 through 10, the last part of this chapter, Paul talks about that unshakable confidence, a courage that never spoils or fades even before the judgment throne of God for those who have the hope of resurrection in Jesus Christ. Look what he says here in verse 6 and following. He says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or bad. The apostle says, even though right now we are absent from the Lord, we're at home in our bodies. Nevertheless, right now, we can take confidence in the fact that we are never really truly absent from Christ and His presence at all. We can be of good courage right now. We can walk in faith right now, relishing the realities of our salvation rather than stumbling by sight through the cares of this earthly pilgrimage. Like Paul, we don't have reason to worry that the outer man is wasting away because with the eyes of faith, we see the unseen. We see with the eyes of faith that our inner nature is undergoing daily renewal. And so these promises that we behold, that we embrace by faith, they affect the way we live right here and right now. Embracing those promises affect the way we treat our bodies right now. We are to honor God with our bodies instead of using them selfishly and destroying them selfishly. We ought to use our time and our energy pouring ourselves out in the service of others rather than seeking our own selfish desires. We're called by God to value our time and our resources and our gifts and use them as a means of worshiping the Lord, living in the hope of what God says He is going to do for our bodies. God loves our bodies. He created them for Himself, and so we ought to value them as well 
and use them for His glory as we look forward to our greater manner of existence when Christ comes again. The certainty of our eternal dwelling with God with renewed resurrection bodies calls us to prepare now by the way we live to enjoy our new clothes and our new home. And so these realities give us confidence. They give us courage as we look forward to the future while get, getting busy living right now in the present. One day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Every deed performed, good or bad, will come under His just scrutiny and perfect judgment. We will face that judgment seat of God as well, but as His saints, as those clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we will come not to be condemned, but welcomed into God's glorious presence for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ. In light of that glorious reality, we must get busy living right now, thankful, obedient, and distinctly Christian lives. Brothers and sisters, for sure, we live our earthly existence in tension, in tension between this age and the age to come, between the promises of God that we're still waiting to be fully fulfilled. But how comforting to know that even though we may be given over to death for the sake of Christ, even though we may daily suffer the decaying effects of sin in this life, we can nevertheless right now focus our gaze upon the resurrection promises of God and claim the reality of those promises in our lives. Praise God that we can confess in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, answer 52, in all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and removed the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all His enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all of His chosen ones to Himself into the joy, into the glory of heaven. That is our resurrection hope, and we have absolute certainty of it because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are amazed at these wonderful promises which are so certain, so true, so written on our hearts that we can say that we already have these new resurrection bodies. Lord, as we wait for the day of Christ's return, as we wait for the judgment of all things when we will be acquitted and welcomed into Your glorious presence, we pray that we would wait in hope, that we would wait in confidence, that we would wait in obedience, that we would remember that our, our desire is to be more fully clothed on that last day, for mortality to be swallowed up by life. But Lord, to, to know that even now we can live before Your face in obedient, thankful service, using our bodies 
which are precious in your sight in ways that truly honor and worship you. Lord, help us to get busy living in light of these glorious resurrection promises with hearts filled with hope and confidence that you will most certainly fulfill all these promises for your glory and the grace that you have given to us in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would sustain us in the midst of this life's trials and fill us with glorious hope in these resurrection truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, sing about that great day of resurrection uh, and judgment as well. Number 387 in the Psalter, 387, day of judgment, day of wonders. We're going to sing all four of those stanzas as we get on our feet to sing. Friends in the Lord, go forth now into the world to serve your risen and reigning Christ, to care for the needs of your neighbors and families with this parting blessing. The love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.